Welcome into the Section 109 podcast. I'm finally back on the podcast after two awesome episodes that I got to listen to as a listener. We Which, missed you. I way. know. I wanted to be there so bad. Um, but I really don't know as as much about the tactics uh, as much as you guys do. So it's really awesome to listen. And I have friends who don't really know that much. And so I sent them to them too. And my friends, they were all loving it. So, Good. sorry, I am back, and this is episode 52, and who do I have in the studio with me for co-host? Well, this is Breezy. And it's Matt. And speaking of people who don't know as much about tactics, uh, that would be us today. Yeah, that is very true. <laughs> Fi- finally, we won't believe ourselves this, to be the smartest people in the room. <laughs> Thank God. Which is, the, all the listeners are probably applauding right now, all four of them. Hey, can I say something, though? Uh, I was I was talking to a friend the other day, I don't know if I told you this or not, and uh, my phone vibrated, and the Section 109 podcast put a podcast up, and I was like... Oh, hey, that podcast I do just uploaded a podcast without me. And my friend was like, well, that, that's shitty. And I was like, no, it's it's actually incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. It's brilliant. So Producer Te- Jay, replaceable. Well, Te- I'm, Te- hey, easy. <laughs> Teamwork makes the dream work. Well, I was going to give uh, Breezy super props so for Thank you, now having his own studio. It's 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 been awesome. But let's, uh, let's talk about what we're doing today. Why so today we? we are sitting down with... Uh, Assistant, is it assistant head coach or assistant coach? What's the actual title, Chris? Assistant coach. Assistant coach. We have we have assistant coach Chris Nugent here with us, and you can tell by his accent he automatically knows more about soccer than we do. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Thank for coming you. on. Thank you for having me. Uh, so let's just start at the beginning. Uh, tell us about Europe soccer journey. Where are you from? When did you start playing? Or and then I guess coaching. I'm assuming you played first. Like start at the beginning. Uh, so as you figured by the accent, I'm originally from England, so I grew up there. Um, surprisingly, I don't know as much about soccer as people would think with the accent. And I kind of find that I found that out myself going through my career. Um, I started playing when I was about six or seven years old. I remember the earliest tournament that I remember watching was Italian IT. So my dad's uh, is Irish, so I'm count as Irish because of that. Um, and Ireland had a pretty good World Cup then. They yeah. got through to the, the next round and there were some penalties and Jack Charlton. So that kind of spurred me on from there. Then I, I played a lot just growing up. In local teams and any local teams that uh, that people would recognize, uh, maybe Aldershot Town. If you played FIFA a few years ago, they're in League Two. They're kind of in the conference back and forth there. So okay, that would be that would be it. And then it was pretty lower level for that when I was younger. Then I moved out here in my early twenties to coach. I started coaching a little bit in England on the side, just as something to do in the evenings, and it was kind of the the logical choice for everyone you finish playing and then you've got to, the only way of sticking in in football is to coach so i went down that route came out here started coaching up in the new england area just doing like mls camps so the fun type of babysitting <laughs> camps chasing your tail that type of stuff um and then ended up going to college from there so now did you have a did you have a college scholarship offer of any kind or did you end up just going to college to not play soccer no i did i went i didn't even think about college when I came out here. I just came to coach and kind of get out of England a little bit. Um, Vacation? Uh, yeah, kind of a just a, a distraction, I think, from England. Sure. I was I was, uh, I was playing still on the weekends and training in the evenings, but I was also painting cars in a body shop. So that was kind of like the way to pay my my bills. And an introduction into real life. Yeah, and then I kind of decided I need a, a different type of real life, so... I decided I wanted to coach more and it was tough with that work and just the position I was in to be able to get out and coach. And so I came out here. Um, I was playing in a coaches v like local guys game. Um, like the the guys that are back from college, they came out and played. So I was playing in that and a coach saw me and mentioned about school. And at first I was like, I don't want to go back to school again. <laughs> but American college is very different to English school. So I kind of got 
talked into going and checking out what the colleges were. Now, so what position did you play? I was a forward, but in college I dropped into midfield. Why was that? Um, it wasn't the strongest team, so I kind <laughs> of... That seems to be a theme every now and then. needed to be on the ball yeah, more. <laughs> yeah, so I didn't get cleared by the NCAA clearinghouse for two years, so I ended up going to a local school of my sponsor family. And NAIA or Division Three. Division, okay. So I was originally going to go to Division Two with Southern New Hampshire University. That's where I was looking at. So I was up in that area of Southern New Hampshire with my sponsor family. Mm-hmm. So I went to the school. It, I played all throughout the four years. Pretty much started, I think, every game and played. I would say nearly every minute. So it was a fun in that experience. But the team maybe wasn't the strongest as you would expect with that school. So yeah, I kind of drifted around a little bit in. In different positions so <laughs> yeah no I, we have the, the reason i think we ask or i ask a lot more questions about the college soccer experiences we've had exclusively college players for you know 10 years of this club's existence so yep. we're, we're used to seeing players come from a lot of different places and it's really interesting to see everybody's like journey to get to cfc whether it's a coach or a player like a lot of them come in some really unorthodox ways and sometimes it's just you know they ended up playing soccer in the U.S. when they weren't planning to play soccer. Like, it's just, I don't know, it's wild. Uh, so how did the transition to coaching then happen full-time? Um, my degree is in psychology, and I don't think there was many options really for that coming out. Obviously, being English, there was limit of what I could do with my visa. So it was an OPT, and surprisingly, coaching work. I'd been taking my licenses alongside school and, and done a little bit of coaching in the summer and some individual stuff and a little bit in the evenings when we were out of season so I kind of wanted to stay with that and maybe go into I mean see what what type of the coaching world was other than the fun games of chasing each other around playing tag that type of babysitting sure. and stuff that I've yeah. done so I got my OPT I got a job in North Carolina never been to North Carolina didn't know anything about it but it just seemed like a good opportunity so like three days later, I was on a flight to North Carolina with two suitcases and <laughs> living in someone's guest room. Yeah. And so what were, what kind of coaching were you doing at that point? Were you literally just like running around like as a, a glorified assistant, like ball carrier? Or were you act, did you actually have a real coaching position? How did that work? It was so the company was kind of hired by individual clubs, more of the smaller local clubs rather than your big super clubs. So you, they would hire a coach in for the season so they'd bring you in and you'd maybe do a session every week to help the the volunteer coach. So it was that type of thing. And then in the summers, we'd do, come in and do like a team camp for them. So it could be coach education, which um, this is a session for this, or this is why we do it, that type of thing. Gotcha. So it was a lot of coaching. I used to coach five till nine, five nights a week. And then we would do coach maybe three or four teams on the weekends. So it was good that I had to coach so much, kind of threw me in with a varied level of players in varied ages. I might coach you 11 girls and I had under 19 boys as well. So That's hilarious. I was getting ready to ask like what levels you were working with, whether, cause I know <clears throat> uh, working with certain age groups, especially in the United States, it is chasing your tail and, and having like really fun games. But then I feel like there's this really hard line around like 14 to 15 where it, it changes and gets a lot more serious. So Yeah. The company I was with wanted to get away from that type of fun babysitting camping, uh, like coaching. So the idea was we'd come in and try to run as professional sessions as we could with, with I guess, relevance still to the age and ability, but yeah. Yeah, we weren't going to be playing tag, we weren't going to be playing statues, things like that. It was going to be more specific to making them better individually. And we, we had a curriculum kind of that were more individual technical focused with the younger ages, but it was still real soccer, so That's to cool. speak. But it was kind of small town North Carolina, so you've got 
a varied level of players and now was that of, was that sh- near charlotte outside of charlotte yeah where it was were just you? outside of charlotte statesville north carolina okay. yeah. um so it's where the 40 and the 77 meet it's kind of in the middle just a, maybe about an hour north of charlotte cool that's when you're that's when you're in the country Here's yeah, where was, these highways was, intersect. Well, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, pretty, it it was pretty country there. <laughs> that's, I, you don't have to go. For, you go about 15 minutes from here, and that's where it is. That's how it is. Yeah, that's true. We're that's not. We're not true. that far. So, where did things? Tra- how did things transition? Kind of grow from there. Um, from there, I decided to. Well, my wife moved down. She was a nurse, and small town hospitals maybe weren't the best opportunity for her. So we moved to Winston Salem, which was about 30 minutes away from Statesville, and there they had a, a very big club. So I. By chance, I met one of the coaches when I was out and he mentioned that there was a, a role going. So I sent my CV over and then I got an interview and went from there. Now, uh, this is, is this Fusion? It was Fusion, yeah. Okay. It was called Twins at the time. So it was Twins was the Winston-Salem side. Greensboro was the other side of it. And then they would merge for the academy and the last couple of years they merged into one club. Okay. I think, I want to say we've got history with, with North Carolina Fusion in the Open Cup. Like 2014, I want to say. Do we beat them before before we played Wilmington? Uh, I'm pretty sure we lost that match actually. So it wasn't. 20, uh, it might have been 2013. It might have been 2013 then, okay. or 2012. Or we went to the final of the MPSL in 2012, so it was probably 2013. Surprising, uh, but, but it might have been called get... something else. It might have been. It might have been Carolina Dynamo back yeah, then. Yeah, Carolina Dynamo. Okay. Yeah, it was in the last few years when they kind of rebranded everything together. But so it was, Dynamo was a re- the original same. Yeah, it was the future. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Now, yeah, how so how long thing. did you stay there? I was there for five years. I left for two. Okay, so that's a good amount of time. And then came back for another two years. Okay. So I went down to another club in Charlotte in the Developmental Academy. So I coached there for two years. And I was commuting from Winston to Charlotte, which is like an hour and a half. Yikes. And that kind a of lot of car its, time. Yeah, it took its toll. So It's a lot right. of car time. So you came back to Fusion for, for a couple of years. Yep, two years. Uh, and you got, you were with them this summer, or this past summer, excuse two me. Two summers ago, yes. Okay. Uh, sorry, last summer. No, it was actually last summer. Yeah. So you guys made it to the... Uh, to the uh, PDL, PDL final. Mm-hmm. They did. That was the transition to when I left them. So I don't think I was officially there when they went to the final. <laughs> I was there throughout the summer. Yeah. I was helping out with that team. I did a lot of the video and performance analysis with them, with Chris, the head coach. Yeah. Um, and then that was kind of the end of summer change point. Well, let's talk a little bit. How did you get into video analysis and the, I mean, analytics side of the game, if that's the right term for it? Um. I think when I first moved to Twins or Fusion, they, they had a lot of very good staff. Um, and those staff are, I think one's an assistant coach in the MLS now, one's a technical director, one was a director of analytics. So there was a lot of very smart guys there. So I've come from kind of small town coaching where I knew everything, apparently. And then moving here and I was like, these guys are really good. So I wanted to make sure when I was given information that I was given the right thing and not just my English opinion and trying to use my accent <laughs> yeah. for it. So... I started to, I think I started to collect stats on short on short corners and long corners with my teams, just to kind of figure out what was the best option, and then it went into an expected goals model from there, and then it was like, okay, if I didn't know that and I didn't know this, and where to go from. As a player, I would say my strongest points were long shots and crossing the ball in, and I would always attempt to do that, and they're probably the most ineffective parts of the game, which explains why my playing career maybe wasn't as good as it could have been. <laughs> That and you, it sounds like you might have been having to drop deep and pick up the ball a little too often. Yeah. And the goals get you signed. Uh, so if I can do, uh, like dovetail straight into short corners versus long corners, what did you find out? Or And maybe has that changed now in how you at all from then? 
they're they're not as big of a goal scoring opportunity as people think. Shorter probably both. Okay. Both. The very very low chance of scoring. Short is slightly higher, but it's when you say slightly higher, like maybe like a percent higher. Like you're looking at maybe three and four percent totals for them. So it's very low. Yeah. Like and you can obviously overachieve with them by having a little bit more structure and a plan to it. But in and when you when you take that number, it's including the guys that just launch the ball in the box and then guys that have a little bit of a plan. So you can get a swing either way. So that's one of the areas if you can overachieve there and get it up, it can make one or two goals and that can be a big difference at the end of the year. Can sure. I ask a can I ask another question before we move go, on? To go. Else? I was gonna dive straight in uh, further into that. Keep going. Uh Sorry, listeners, we're going to get all of our personal <laughs> about questions to go answered super, about this. Super dirty here. Uh, short corners versus long corners. What is more likely to result in a goal for the other team? It depends on the structure of your team outside of the box. I mean, that th- I I don't know the exact number for either, but it's you're not that much likely more to, I guess, more, more likely to score from a corner than maybe you are to concede. It just depends on how you set up after it. So that's, okay. that's a key thing is like Le- the structure of... Leaving two or three defenders deep, leaving the right guys deep, that's on it. Yeah, the right thing. guys are maybe in the right spots deep to, to kind of kill the counter is important. Sure. Sometimes teams overload too much and then they open up for a counter. And if you've got no one back, that's a really good chance for someone to score. So it's having that plan for that next step. Like if we don't score, there's this to kind of kill the play. See, this is why I'm not a coach because the next step is just fouling. Yeah, Matthew. Matthew has a very, very strongly held belief that you don't have to even comment uh, on, but it's called fouling is winning. And uh, Matthew feels very, very strongly that I mean, it, he will celebrate a good foul. In fact, he did this morning when we were watching the Premier League. He, he's three different times. He was like, "Good foul, great, it's a great foul. That's a great foul." Would you rather concede a goal or a foul? A foul, hundred percent. Right, yeah. So you're you're on Team Matthew on this. Yeah. <laughs> by the way, yes. I, I, I am too. It's just uh, we couldn't get Rod to commit to that. By the way, I mean, I wouldn't say to go out and foul, but if it's an option of one or the other. Yeah, yeah. Of course, that's basically, course, that's basically what he right? said. Well, that, that is what he said. He said it. He said it really eloquently. I wasn't <laughs> on that podcast. They were on it, but uh, it's tr- it, like it, it's one hundred percent true. Like, look at Pep Guardiola's teams. Like, whether you lo- like or don't like Pep, like one of the ways they stifle transition is through smart fouling. Fernandinho manages to foul people six or seven times in a game and not get a card. So it's not just fouling people, but it's fouling people at the right times in the right way. Like, that's what happens when, when you're there, the. Right? That's what happens when you're the nice old guy. Fernandinho, yeah, nobody penalized. He's a he's a city fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so wait, so you went back to Fusion, correct? I did, yes. Um, and then you went somewhere before here, and that is Stumptown, correct? Mm-hmm. So ha- talk us through that transition uh, from Fusion to Stumptown, and then from Stumptown to Chattanooga. So I decided that Fusion probably wasn't the best fit, just the way that things were going there for me. So part of it was maybe I was going to do my own thing on the side and, and just try and find jobs that I enjoyed rather than what I had to do. And then through a friend who I used to work with when I was originally in Charlotte, he knew Rod. He worked with him a little bit at Stumptown and introduced us. And we were just chatting about soccer on, on a Zoom call. And, and that kind of came from there. It's cool. Just kind of hit it off. Yeah, hit it off. I mean, I didn't know much about Stumptown. I went down to see their final game of the the spring or the summer season before it restarted again in the fall, and that was kind of the first Nisa experience. I knew one of the one of the old Fusion twenty three players played at Stumptown a couple of years ago, so I knew of the name, but other than that, it was was not much from it. Gotcha. Um, I do have a question back about you said you put together an expected goals model, and I if I remember correctly, you said it was around twenty fourteen. Yeah, I think around then, 20, uh, 2014, 2013, 2014, that was the time I started to... That's a, that's a lot of work. What, yes. mo- what motivated you to do that? And did you 
build it on somebody? Did you modify somebody else's in the sense that did you take somebody else's and go, okay, but I think this is a flawed model. Therefore, I want to do my own. Or were you like, I want to solve this problem from the beginning. Therefore, I'm going to build my own. Like, how did the genesis of that happen? I, I didn't even know about expected goals when I started to do it. I was just, <laughs> I moved on from the corners and the set pieces to shooting. And I kind of collected some information. And I, as I was collecting it, at first I used my t the three teams I was coaching. And it was like, this isn't really easy to read or this isn't valuable. So I kind of adjusted through there. And then once I started to collect like more and more data from it, like I would do a little bit of maybe some pro games. And then I found out, because I think expected goals wasn't really as, as mainstream as maybe. No, no, it, it, it existed, now. but it definitely wasn't around yeah. that time. So I think, I can't remember who who I saw called it expected goals, but it's like, that pretty much sounds like what I'm doing. So, and I was like, could I have just took someone else's idea? Like, <laughs> could I have just done that and saved me all the time? But. It was, so yeah, I just collected all my own stats and my own data and it stuck with my own teams. And then I did the MLS for a year and then I did the MLS. We added in France, Italy, Spain, England and Germany. Now, how are you actually collecting the data? Watching every shot. Now, is that you're watching every shot? Do you, do you hire people to watch shots? Like that's a lot of video. No. So at the start, it was me collecting every shot for my teams. And then I started to watch a little bit of MLS. I then spoke with... Uh, my friend Mark Simpson, who was a huge, I guess, influence and he helped me a lot with this. He was the, the director of soccer or the technical director at the club at Fusion. So I kind of went to him with the corners and this and he was really interested in it. So we together between us watched all the MLS games and shots. Kind of fast forwarding <laughs> through each one sure. throughout the summer. Yeah. And then like this seems like something that works. So the next year we used Instat to at least just have all the shots. So sure. we we'll sit there and go through. And we I kind was going to say, did it start on paper and then move to a spreadsheet and then move to an official program or like? Yeah, start on paper. And then you, I do you still have those books? I think I threw them when I moved. I found them the other day and some of it was a mess when I read through it. You didn't want to <laughs> so look at it anymore. <laughs> I thought, am I going to need this? But now maybe I should have kept them and I could have brought them in today. Yeah, but yeah I did. I've got a bunch of stuff like that from when I was in college that I wish I still had. Yeah, I did have all the books in the back room before moving, and it was easier to throw it in the dumpster than it oh, was I hear to you. pack oh, it in your car. Put yeah. it in the car. Yeah, so I hear that's you. what I did. So but yeah, started there, and then it went to a spreadsheet <clears throat> to kind of like see what what type of shots were efficient and what type of shots worked, and then sure. This is probably an easy way of collecting data. Now, do you now, now that you know expected goals is a thing, you know, someone's named it, whatever else, do you look at others' models and, and have, like, I mean, and we can obviously cut this out if you don't want to, like, if you want to trash somebody's model and then we can, whatever <laughs> else. But I'm just curious, like, do you look at others and go, like, this isn't good enough? Or do you have a particular reason that you like yours better? Or do you just do it? Does that make sense? Because, like, now that the data is regularly available, I know my understanding is you're still doing yours at least yes. for some stuff. So I'm curious, why do yours, I guess is a better question. Um, I'm comfortable with the accuracy of it. Like I said, I've kind of refined it and adjusted it over the last seven, eight years or so. Um, and I think that's it. Sometimes I see expected goal models for for others, even with maybe the teams I've worked with and I felt they're kind of off. And then you look at like what they say this shot was and it just seems maybe a bit too much or it doesn't seem right. So I stick with it. I mean, I think most expected goals model, it's fairly similar but maybe they just categorize one shot higher than the other. And everything you do is post-shot expected, right? So it means, meaning, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this term, but meaning there has to be a shot in order to categorize the chance? Yeah, has to grade be a the shot. Chance. For the expected goals, yeah, it has to be a shot. So there's different categories for that, and there's different zones and areas of the field that I use. I, I don't think the other expected goals model do it that way. They do it based on the general distance or the general type ball. I kind of shift into different zones. 
Gotcha. Just makes it a little bit easier from the sideline or from recording to, to, I guess, collect that data. So Rod told us uh, on, on the podcast, again, I wasn't on, they were on, so I didn't get to ask him more questions about this, but he said you guys hadn't expected goals model and he had project or you guys had projected, I don't remember the totals, 13, you had 13 and you should have had 18 or something like that. Yeah, I think we were six, six under where we should have been. If you look at some of the shots we had, you'd, you'd probably agree with it as well. So there was, yeah, it was six under where we should have been based on the shots we had. And sometimes in a short, it was a fairly short season. You just doesn't balance out and doesn't catch up over a longer season. You kind of have those overachieving moments, underachieving moments. But we didn't, we didn't get that luck. And those six year. are like that should have gone in moments, kind of. Nothing should go in. Yeah. But they almost should. They were like over, sure, over half. So gotcha. I mean, when you when you add it all up together, you look at the it's our expected goals for a game. Maybe should have been two something, and we didn't score. Yeah. Or it was it was a zero zero game, and we had a expected goals of nearly two. So it was. I mean, it's tough because of the expected goals doesn't really doesn't work so much on such a short term. It's right. more of over the longer term. But you can get yeah. a good reflection of the game by the types of chances you created, and nothing's one hundred percent right. So even if it's ninety nine percent, that one might be the day that. The, goal, the goalkeeper gets the finger on it or yeah. the, yeah. it hits yeah. the hit wrong the side of the post. Or, 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 yeah, hit the wrong side of the net. So we had plenty of, of those, and that's that's just part of the game, right? Player execution is why the some of the top players can get where they are and other guys can't. And it all comes down to it. When, when a player does something great, it's through his execution. So we had yeah. moments like that last year where a player did something great, which was probably a low percentage if you want to look at it, but he made that decision and he had the ability to do it. So you can't be too harsh on the guys for it no and especially that nothing's 100 percent right and that's how when you get for anyone listening like expected goals are the hopeful the probability if you go over 5 10 15 seasons you have a little bit like batting average uh in baseball like you have a certain amount of time that the ball squeaks through the certain amount of time the ball goes in the net and you know on similar chances and correct me if i'm wrong in any of this but you know that normally two out of ten times this is a, this, from this area this shot's a goal on this type of whatever and so for people listening, like you can actually go back and use data and look at it and go, okay, we actually played well enough to create what in on normal circumstances would have been two goals if you take luck out of it or take great performance or whatever. And those things don't even out in, at least in my, how I understand it, normally in single games. But as you go through a season, normally that kind of stuff can even out and you can tell if you've been unlucky or lucky or if you're playing poorly, right? Yeah, definitely. That's it. It's just basically the probability of a shot going in. So, you know, if you've got a lot of high probability shots, you're probably going to do well. But yeah, like you said, if it's over a longer season, it usually balances out to some extent. But the short season, sometimes you can get caught on the wrong side of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's also, it's tough to... Breezy, please please go exactly where your brain's thinking right now. Uh, oh, so, no, I, 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 I'm not, not thinking about last season and us. Uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even know where I, I do. I know I, there's a, so many places I want to go from here. Um, when you're looking at, I, I watched your your interview with the short interview they put on social media with CFC, and, and you mentioned KPIs, and you do those for the team. Kind of what does that mean? And what does that entail? So the key performance indicators. So expected goals is one of them, but it's the, I guess it has to match your style of play or our style of play, but it's effectively, you work back from there. How do we score goals? How do we create good chances? Where do we need to be? So teams that win the league usually have an expected goals of over two. So that would be a KPI. Can we get over two every single week? And then it's, well, how often do teams get in the box or how often do teams get in these certain areas or do they make these types of passes? And then the same on the flip side. So defensively, how that works. So I track them for the team and we kind of set 
set a benchmark for that. We can do it with individual players. I don't at the moment just because of the amount of work to to do everybody. But when we have like a software or a program on the outside, that's that's good for that because you can see the top players consistently do this or the top teams consistently do this. And then you kind of match your style of play to it. If we're going to play this way, does it lead to this type of chances? And if not, what do we need to, to change? It's basically about how effective can you be in the game? So, yeah. Which is not a set style of play, but how effective can your style of play be? So if you're going to play this way, you need to be winning this percentage or, or this type of result. So when you're having a Monday morning meeting uh, uh, with the players, let's say, are you guys examining, I assume that normally, normal soccer teams, and please correct me if I'm wrong, they just, they, they'll look at video, you know, they'll talk through the game, but I'm curious, like, do you, since you're doing probably more video analysis and more analytics work than uh, the average team at this level, at least I think, does that mean you're starting and going, okay, here's, here's some moments where the expected goals or, or, I mean, I'm just curious, like, how detailed do you get in those meetings? Are you using it and tracking it week by week? Or is this something you guys do behind the scenes and then change your substitutions based on that or change your training sessions? Based? Like, how, how often does that filter down to the team, I guess, is what I'm asking. Um, we track it every weekend and we track it during the game as well. So I have the rough idea as the game's going on. You'll see I have a notebook with me and I'll be tracking some things. When I rewatch the video, maybe I say, that, okay, that wasn't quite as good a chance as we thought it was. So at least at half time we kind of have an idea of what it is. And then going back from there, if we say we need to get into the box a certain amount of times, then it's not just you guys need to get in the box. What's the reason we're not getting in? And then kind of go back from there. Is it an issue in midfield? Is it an issue with the forward? Is it from something else? So how can we adjust the game based off of that rather than saying you need to be in the box this amount of times, you need to have this many shots? Like they're kind of the lot it's the same with scoring, right? We know you've got to score. So it's how how can we give information to influence that decision for the players to do it? Gotcha. So I, it's it's tough if you tell the players, hey, you need to get in the box 19 times, and then they're thinking, okay, I've gotten 17, and then they I gotta start get to two more. Yeah, they start to focus on that rather the than thing. the reason of why right. you're going for it. So yeah. we share the information with the guys of why it's important, and then it's more the principle of it. So hey, this is how we can create this. So like I said before, whipping the ball in the box maybe is not as effective as we'd like. So getting the guys to understand that doesn't mean you can't do it but there's probably a time and a place of why it'd be successful. So how do you approach... Okay, so obviously you can do data on corners. I would guess easier because they're essentially a set play. It's a little bit like baseball. It's, it's almost turn-based mm -hmm. for those moments. So how do you assess going forward? Like, okay, we're going to put together set pieces. Like, do you have... Do you just draw up better set pieces, hopefully based on what you think the probabilities are? Or do you just say, we're only going to play one way? Or how do, like, how do you think about that using... Does you theoretically have more information now? Yeah, it all, all comes down to what is going to create a good chance of scoring. Um, sometimes that's like key individual like player qualities as well. Like we know a certain guy can do this. So, I mean, at Stumptown last year, we had one player who had quite a good delivery from the top of the box and it resulted in, I think, three goals from maybe corners. So that was kind of a part of the play. And it went from when teams kind of figured out he was going to do it, how can we manipulate it to just get him free and, yeah. and, and dis yeah. distract from there? So... It was about creating a high quality chance on goal and looking at what the top teams at set pieces do and, and going from there and then just what fits with us. So isn't it Liverpool that's famously has a set team has set piece coach? They do have a throwing yeah. coach, yeah. Throwing coach. Yeah. Which I is can't like, say his name is Danish. It's too it's too tough to pronounce, <laughs> but yeah, they but, do. Yeah, which is like really like super specialized, but also if you can gain an advantage there, like and he and he got a raise after that Barca game, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it's about having a plan, right? Same as yeah. anything, I think with the guy, even non-set piece, it's about having the guys having an idea of what they're trying to achieve on the field. Right. So the more little areas you can get that win in, 
He's just right. A lot of throws are given away. So right. you have a plan on throws to at least retain possession and then get yourself in a better shape. At least so. you probably understand some sort of like cycling system for a throw in where it's like not you run there, I run here, and then maybe you get the ball. It's like you, everybody kind of sort of knows where each other will move. Yeah, and that's it. It's kind of having a, a set kind of pattern a little bit. Yeah. So then at least you know you've got and from the from corners or set pit three kicks, we'll always have maybe three or four options, and then the, the guy on the ball makes a decision. And right. If he and wants to dribble and smash it in the top corner, that's great. If he wants to use this one or that one, it's kind of easy enough that you can say, okay, that's not there, that one. I like that first one. Yeah, Working I like it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that one too. I like it when we run the scoring play, personally. Yeah. That's just me. Uh, how do you feel about long throw-ins? Um, if you've got someone who's good with a long throw and it's structured, I think it could be at a good advantage the benefit i say with a long throw is you can adjust the throw like the last second more so than a kick so there is a slight benefit there but you've got to have the right target and the plan around that so i think the same with anything long corners are good if you have the right structure set up if you've got a six foot five guy that's always getting on the end of it and guy that can really whip it in you're you're more dangerous than if you have a bunch of five foot ten guys or five foot nine guys and someone that's bad at delivering from the left side yeah, and I think having that plan of, of getting people open or getting that kind of free header, it's it's all over, right? And everything, as long as you can be effective with it, is good. If you're just throwing the ball in the box and there's no real plan, it's probably not any good. But if you've got someone who can throw it above average and someone who can win it above average in there, maybe it's a little different. Jay Buchanan, famous for hating long throws. Listen, I have to explain myself every time. I don't, <laughs> I don't hate the long throw. I hate the poor dribbling up the side and the ball happens to go out of bounds on every play that causes a long throw every time you go in. But we'll leave that to the statistics later to figure out uh, what the numbers are. There. We had a couple guys that could really hurl it, and we had a six foot five uh, guy, Ian McGrath, you may know, who could head it down. So the long throws were pretty effective for us. And I think... Uh, that- by, by the fall season, when you, were, when, when you were over at Stumptown, we were just hurling it at Nick Spielman. Looking for the knockdown, which did it result. Was fr- it was frustrating. Did result in uh, in in some a bunch of chances, including and, a game winning goal. And we've managed to twist this around to make Jay hate <laughs> long long throw ins, but as, it, as friends it, can do. It was. I'm not going to go down again. But it is it is demoralizing when you lose a game and the ball goes out on the right side because you have a player that can't beat a defender and the and the defender simply stabs the ball out and the long throw isn't effective, and it happens. A bunch. Yeah, if it happens five or six times. Uh, we, we knew where you were coming from, but it's more fun to make fun of you. Okay, yeah, ineffective good. play is very frustrating. So hey, even sh- ineffective short corners can be torture as well at times. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, do we want to move into a couple of? Uh, I mean, we still have some soccer questions. I and I have one that sort of uh, piggybacks on all of that, and especially you said you have a psychology degree. I have the paper, so I have a psychology degree. Gotcha. Well, yeah, yeah. I have a geology degree, and it's a piece of paper hanging right there. So, uh, yeah, I don't use it at all. Um, uh, I want to start asking everybody this because I'm always interested in people's opinions. M- my friend and I had a, a long, drunk discussion the other night. What, for, in your uh, opinion, what percentage of the game is mental and what percentage of the game is physical? Um, I know, that's a tough question because I don't like to answer questions unless I have the real stat for it. I think it <laughs> That's bear- never stopped anyone on this yeah. podcast before, for the record. We will, we, we will not hold you to it. This is a straight-up opinion. Yeah, I would say it varies based on the moments of the game. And probably individuals as yeah, well. Yeah, and individuals and moments of the game. I think both are incredibly important. And maybe the, the mental side can be sometimes undervalued and sometimes overvalued. Um, the same with like the, the physical side. So I won't hold you to a numbers percentage. Do I have to give a number? That's up to Breezy. 
Yeah, I mean, give, give it a shot. <laughs> I'd say 50 50. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, look at that. It's going to go smart. Dependent on the game. <laughs> on the game oh, state. man. That's a, that's a really that's a, that's a true uh, statistician in the best, in the best way. Uh, he- he- I hate to give numbers plays. unless I've got numbers. So. Okay, so I have, I have uh, one other thing I want to do. Um, I, w- I want to play two clips that we're going to hear. And this is from our interview, which is uh, episode 47 with Rod that Matt and I did. And I'll play two clips. So this is the first one, then I'll play the second one, and then I have a question for you. Do I want Chattanooga to score 35, 40, 50 goals? Yes. That was, that was, <laughs> there you go. You know, and that's, that's, I mean, look, I don't, I, what I do realize is that because of the way the game has changed, because the game has become fast and athletic and the counterattacking game is more and teams are willing to play more directly, you have to also be aware of that. But on the end, we all know that game goals change games. Yep, absolutely. If you score the goals in the moments that you need it to put the team to mentally break the team, they don't get goals. And it leads to you getting more goals or more chances. So the key is being able to score in the moments that you need to score to not give the other team life and hope. Because once you give the team hope, you created a, you created a real serious competition. Okay, so that was the first clip. This is the second one. Yeah, yeah. I want to be – just want to be relentless. You know, I want to be relentless and just never – Never give the other team hope. Never let them think they have a chance to play. So this is a bit of a change for us. Uh, and that, that was a super awesome interview. If you want to go back and listen, like I said, it was uh, episode 47. If you missed out, I thought it was very interesting. But taking his, we've talked about it a little bit, and you may have already answered this a little bit as well, but taking that such aggressive approach and such an on-the-ball and a playmaking approach, uh, like how do you complement that style that maybe like he visions? Like what, what, skill set besides the analytics and statistics do you bring that kind of like matches that intensity uh, i just do as he tells me to <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, i mean I've, I've been coaching a long time and i think a lot of my opinions formed off of analytics and then you kind of learn what's effective in those areas as well it's not just a case of opening up a, a spreadsheet and saying this is it this is it i watch the game and i have an idea of right. of patterns and what's going on as well so it's when I first got to Stumptown with Rod, I kind of the first week had to figure out exactly what he wanted and how he wanted to do things and then what was the most effective way of doing it rather than it's not as though I have a model that says if you do this, you do this, you, you win. Sure. It's however you want to play in your style, it's finding the, the effective moments in that. So, so that's how you sort of compliment it is by him having that. I mean, I'm sure he also finds that. Like he's obviously watching every game as well and figuring that out, but that's kind of where you sort of come in and, and sort of like – okay, here's the over, you know, arcing goal and here's the way we're going to play. And then you kind of come in and you pull those like those like key points out of that style. And so from there you formulate a plan and a system. Yeah, I mean, I was a coach first and I don't want to get away from, I mean, I've I've had friends joke that I'm just a, like a spreadsheet coach or a textbook coach. <laughs> yeah. So you're just reading out the answer. And that's, I mean, the game's too chaotic for that. Sure. It's just of what are our patterns or what other things kind of fit into that. So the date is good and kind of complements it, but it's there's a lot of game actions and in, in either specific positions or individual actions or as a team that decide on how the game's going. No, so we we know the chaotic game well. We explain the NPSL. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so we uh, digging just a little bit further into that. You know, we have a year of, of Rod at Stumptown, and then we, obviously you guys are coming here with uh, a chunk of Stumptown players. So I'm sure there's going to be some similarities. You know, what can kind of fans expect to see? like at, at Finley Stadium from this CFC team? 
Like, what are kind of some of the principles? I know Rod said he wanted to score 35, 40, or 50 goals, which, by the way, we do too. But, like, what does that look like, in um, your opinion? So, it will be a lot of possession, like, retaining the ball. That's, that, I mean, people don't always look at possession as a defensive tactic as well. But, clearly, if you have the ball, the opponent don't. And if they don't have the ball, they can't score. They can't create good shots. So, yep. it goes back from there, like Rod was saying. It's kind of mentally demoralizing a bit when you are chasing the ball around all game. Of course. So, that's a factor how we press we're going to quite intensive press with a counter press and, and maybe some pressing traps or some definitely some pressing traps in there so it's not going to be a case of sitting back and launching the ball long it's dominate possession and press to get it back as quick as possible we've, we've done a lot of i guess attacking work in the off season with a plan so now we've got an extended preseason. it's maybe a little bit better to implement some of that stuff the guys have some ideas and as the preseason goes on we'll kind of add those ideas to it and then hopefully we get that 35 40 50 goals so that will be the plan <laughs> beautiful do you want to move into the miscellaneous questions or we can always okay. come back to more so series. we're, yeah, so we're sure. gonna we're gonna take a break from the from like hard-hitting soccer questions now we're gonna get to know you really really hard-hitting really hard personal questions <laughs> okay like for example jay you want to hit the first one yeah sure so uh the first thing I, I see here is, what are your first impressions of Chattanooga? I love it here. Yeah? Yeah, I'm st I still have that new city excitement of being here. It's really cool. So the f only time I've been to Chattanooga before taking the job was when we came here in the fall mm -hmm. to Stumptown. So it was like two and a half days. So I kind of took the job without knowing the city too well, other than the club itself. Sure. So. Yeah. I really like the city. I came here and the, like I said, for, I came for two days looking for apartments and it was like, this place is cool and I, I like everything that I see so far and then each time, each time, I do a lot of running. So running around the city. And Perfect. Then you fit in. You're yeah, good. It's, You're it's good. a pretty, it's a pretty good city for that. Yeah, <laughs> so running around and seeing all, all the places cool, like when you go to different restaurants or bars or something or coffee shops. Yeah, and you said you're right downtown too, so you're yeah. kind of a walk away from a lot of stuff. Yeah, so it's a, a good area. So How do you um, feel about trail running? We're going to turn you into a true Chattanooga and get you running on some trails. Don't do it. Too too dangerous. Don't do it. Man. I like the road. Your ankles are more important than that. I think it would be <laughs> nice to do some scenic runs on the trails. A lot of people have told me about the trails around here. So at some point I'll have to. I like just opening my door and going out for a run rather than having to drive and park yeah, and sure. go somewhere. Yeah. Get back in your car sweaty. and. Yeah. But um, I think it'd be worth I'd like to explore more of of chattanooga and the community kind of around it so dude well, we'll i can send you some places to go for sure um that aren't uh ruby falls and uh rock city like everybody else will <laughs> okay. you because like i think matt's literally said it on this podcast somebody said i still haven't been to rock city or whatever and mac was like or matt was like and you'll be a true chattanooga in, in a couple of years and you still, still haven't been <laughs> yeah you still <laughs> yeah. wouldn't have gone there um a huge one here is um are you a fan of jean jackets or not i don't have a jean jacket would you rock one if you did um, no is a totally acceptable answer. That's my know. answer. I don't think I've ever had an urge to buy a jean jacket. So maybe that's... <laughs> ever since yeah. I started growing this mustache, I've been getting a, a, a more and more of an urge to buy a jean jacket. <laughs> that and some aviators would be perfect. Oh, no. Maybe don't do that. Uh, yeah, this thing's coming off. I, it's starting to get annoying. Are you, yeah, are you, yeah, it's coming off because your wife's going to divorce you if it doesn't. Yeah. I'm growing this out to make my wife angry. She does not listen to the podcast. She like kissing a broom. Oh no, she just won't kiss me. Uh, she just, yeah, definitely not with this mustache. Um, she hates you, it so are, much. Are you a coffee guy? Not really. Yeah, me neither. Tea. I'm kind of stereotypically, I drink the tea, a gallon of tea a day. Sure. It's just how how it is in England. Growing up, my dad was a big tea drinker, so by the time you think you finish your tea, you've already got another one coming. So you yeah. just get used. You got to keep it. the caffeine coming. 
So yeah, I'd say tea. I can drink coffee, but I'm not really excited about it. Like trying to find coffee places or this type of coffee. It's yeah. just coffee to me. Well, if you ever want to get into it, you happen to be in a perfect city. Okay. Yeah. I have noticed there's a lot of coffee shops. So. Yeah, yeah they're for on sure. A, throw a rock and you Hip, can hit one. Hipsters love coffee shops. Now, this is probably our most important question. So you'll need to take it very seriously. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? I mean, I don't think I'm the one to say if it does or doesn't belong on there. Do I will eat pizza with pineapple on it. Yes. If it's Mark there. one down in the wind column. Yes. So good man. But, but again, I'm not an expert. There you are, might be so the first person so. on this podcast that's ever just been nice about nonchalant it. about their answer. Like, yeah, whatever. Like, it's yeah. either it's, like take it or leave it. Yes or fuck no. <laughs> Like that's no- normally the two responses we get is like absolutely not that's disgusting or yeah I love it yeah but yeah he's an even kill guy he went fifty percent on the he did he did earlier, so. also he's like if I don't have real numbers I don't want to have an opinion yeah. you know that's what, true you know self control it takes to have like not have opinions like that you say out loud well that's a new project you, we need to run uh, some sort of analytics on that yeah <laughs> um what about are 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 you a seltzer or a beer guy beer yeah yeah which favorite beer. Um, I wouldn't say I have a favorite one. I kind of just go with, I like to try some of the local stuff. So when I'm yeah. in somewhere local, I'll sure. see what, what they've got on there. So Another good reason to be here. We have tons of breweries. Yeah. So rather than a, a set one. My my favorite is the Chestnut Brown. Shout out CBC. Yeah. And then at the uh, the after win beer at, at Chattanooga Brewing Company is, um, it hits different. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Good. Uh, so I, just so you know, after every game, win or lose, supporters go hopefully usually a lot a big chunk of the players go coaches go like everybody either commiserates together or celebrates together prefer celebrations right but like also we win together and we lose together right okay. so yeah it's a it's it's a really special thing uh, I, i've taught i've I, you haven't been here for a, a CFC win, obviously, as as a coach. Yet. Well, yes, yet. he has. I have been here yes. for a CFC win. <laughs> okay. As a CFC coach. As a CFC coach. Sorry, uh, I couldn't resist. <laughs> so it hasn't... Uh, like, I think there's something really special about this town. And I'm sure everybody's got special connections to their club, but the there's no fourth wall there. There's no inability to talk to players or, or talk to coaches. You know, they're just another person in the bar. And that makes it different, I think, from, especially in this country, most professional sports, where you can't talk to a professional athlete. You know, somebody's shooing you away or keeping you away or they're signing an autograph and walking away. Whereas you can, you know, you can have a beer with any player pretty much or or speak with a coach or, or whatever else after any game because most of them are at Chattanooga Brewing Company or they're at the grocery store or whatever else. And I think there's part of that connection to the community that makes things really special here. I've literally had people that go to games and be like, yeah, that was awesome. I could go to that again. And then we go to the brewery and after we're drunk and we're leaving and we're going home, they're like, I'll do that shit all the time. That's fun. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, it, it is. People will buy you beer for sure while you're there. I always try and buy, if there's players or anybody there, I'd always try and snag a beer for somebody. I think it's just really awesome to be able to do that with guys who have been on the field. And like, you feel like you're investing a little bit more. You're helping people feel like they're a part of the community. So that's, it's a really fun time to go over there. So Yeah. yeah. The community was something that stood out when we were first here. And then the times I came back as well. So that was a huge, huge part of wanting to be here was be part of that community and not just live in the same city as it is. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. You're one of us now. Yeah. Um, So uh, what do you listen to when you work out? And do you listen to things when you work out? Um, When I run, I don't listen to music, but that's because I keep breaking headphones. So then I got used to, I actually lost a pair of headphones once and kind of as a self-punishment, I refused to buy another pair. Nice. So then I had to kind of, I was training for a marathon at the time. So I kind of had to suck up all those long runs without it. I did a marathon and my headphones broke during it. So I kind of got used to 
running in silence, but I would listen to maybe some English bands that you probably haven't heard of. Probably not, but I'd be interested. I would say The Smiths. No, I'm right there. Maximo that down. Park. So I kind of go with a, an indie indie English mix, maybe on, on Spotify or something for it. Kind of just go with the shuffle and go from there. So now, and if you were lifting weights, for example, you got the headphones in? Do I look like I lift weights? <laughs> <laughs> uh, listeners, he is, he's about 240 pounds and jacked. Uh, no, you don't look like you do a lot. You look like me. You, more or you, less. You, you, you look like a, a long-distance runner. Yeah, okay, and that's what I'm going for. So uh, <laughs> I only just started really, really going back to the gym to add to the running. I'm kind of a little bit obsessed with the running more than stats now. So, so what, what got you into uh, running? Was that always something you did? No, I used to hate running as a player. I wouldn't do anything long-distance running. Well, everything. I still hate it, so. Yeah, everything was intervals, and it kind of flipped. I think a few years ago, I just started running. I was maybe a little bit heavier when I stopped playing, and just the easiest way you, f- you thought was to lose weight was is it, running. Is it the competition? Is that, does that part drive you or the... The competition of running? Like you said you ran a marathon. Like does that, does competing against others motivate you? Does competing against yourself, does competition have nothing to do with it? Like kind of what pushes um, you? Not so much with running because there's always someone faster and always someone slower. And the running community is pretty cool actually because everybody knows it hurts and how much of a struggle it is. So there's not too much ego of beating someone at the last second. There's also guys that are very fast. So it's kind of luck of the draw and who enters that race. So I think it's the personal, I guess, competition of trying to improve or beat the time. My original goal was to qualify for Boston, the Boston Marathon. So that was kind of the long-term goal of getting closer to that and working on that rather than can I win this race or can I come 200 Beat the rest of the others. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see the finish line, then yeah, I'll start to, to overtake people. Sometimes when you're running, you're like, can I catch that guy there? But it's not so much of a of a competition for it's more it. about like beating yourself like you said yeah i think the self-improvement's good and, cool. and i find the mental toughness side of it i would say running that can be 50 50 right mental and physical but there's times when it feels like it's 99 percent mental so yeah when uh just so just so for you uh and i am not getting paid to say this but uh look at fast break athletics for your uh specialty running shoe store needs okay uh they're on north shore on a corner of north market and uh, hamilton avenue and they'll also have a really good connection into the uh, the local running community. They're okay. used uh, Chenning oh, yeah. Brewing Company pre-pandemic had, which we we refer to colloquially colloquially as CBC, but there's another CBC in town. But if one of us says it, it's Chenning Brewing Company. Anyway, they had joggers and loggers, so you people would show up, jog, would go do several miles, whatever it was, big big loop, reasonable like good runners, not just like you know a bunch of people running half a mile and then come back and it would come with a beer and you'd have everyone drink and hang out and. Then you know, go home. So they had a there was some running community events. I don't know if they're spun back up. They're doing they're doing joggers, joggers and loggers still. Okay, I don't I, I didn't know if they're I forget back I forget up. what night though Tuesday or Wednesday or something like that. There are two CBCs. One you drink beer at, the other you smoke cigs at. <laughs> yeah, oh, there's Chattanooga Billiards Company, and it is. Ugh, you will smell like an ashtray. So there there is a group that does a Sunday a Sunday long run. Okay, uh, pretty early on Sunday mornings. So okay, I'll check that out. Cool. Yeah, Matthew, when are you gonna start running again? Uh, I'm thinking tomorrow actually. Yeah, it's gonna be probably nice outside. I'd probably get back into it. Matthew was a collegiate runner for okay. distance. Yeah, I think I uh, hear you mentioned before that you that you ran a bit. So. Yeah, I don't. Like, he, I don't he, like running he, anymore. He uh, murdered his knee. I did also murder my knee playing yeah. soccer. I had some hip issues from soccer, and that kind of was stopping me from running. So that kind of stopped me from playing soccer. Is the the hip? So no, no Sunday league for you now. No, no Sunday league. He was trying to re- recruit you for. Uh, I was. Horse. I was gonna go there, but. <laughs> Yeah, I've officially retired from playing. I might demo now and then for players, but 
I'm yeah. not jumping in the session. I'm Same. not finding a Sunday league team. Same. Yeah, yeah. Matt was definitely on your level. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no um, more. Do you have any soccer superstitions? Mm. I feel like being a data and analytics person, you might not. Now, everyone's got superstitions, whether they think they do I'm or not. I'm extremely superstitious I, to the point that it's unhealthy. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me too. I don't think so. There might be ones that I just don't recognize are superstitions. You yeah. might have to ask those around me, but I don't think I do. Do you have a favorite like pregame meal or a particular pregame meal? Even if you don't think it's lucky, you just feel good? Um, or sits well? Mm, no, not anymore. I like pizza, so I'll always eat. There's usually pizza after the game, so always. I go a light meal to save myself for the pizza. After. There you go. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really have, have that. So I like carbs, obviously running a lot. and Sure. Playing, they used to eat a lot of carbs as well. So if it's got carbs in, it's probably a favorite. Oh, yeah. Me, uh, yeah, me as well, except I'm not doing enough exercise. So, But I do have an over 30s game tonight, so Look at knock you. on wood. How's that, uh, how's that going? Not to ruin the come, podcast. Come play. Asking you. Come play. Again next season. <laughs> we're, 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 better th- we're, we're better this season. Uh, we're decent. We just, we're sh- we, need a, uh, we need another goal scorer, which you are. Yeah. So, by the way, last week on the podcast, uh, we, we mentioned that Matthew was the most, uh, like, well-played, like, the person who played the highest level of all of us. That was because you weren't there. Like, Jay, <laughs> Jay's actually a pretty good soccer player. Matthew and I, I play, I started playing as an adult. Matthew played middle school. And Smitty, our other co-host, started playing as an adult as well. So, uh, yeah, we're all pretty terrible soccer players. Well, I thought, <laughs> I, uh, back in the day, I remember TJ chimed in one time on Twitter, because, yeah, we were talking about... Uh, like playing or something and uh tj asked a question when we asked for like listener questions and he said uh who's the best soccer player out of the three of you and then he the in quotations was like but not jay because we know that's yeah, the yeah, right yeah, answer because yeah. we know it's jay <laughs> shout out tj i appreciate the, the uh, boost of confidence <laughs> still think about that um so we have a few more non-soccer questions um what do you have any hidden talents things that you do well that people don't know about no i have no hidden talents I would say the only thing I do kind of is read and run other than soccer. It's kind of a busy What do you? What kind of stuff do you read? Um, usually kind of sports psychology or leadership books. Sure. More so. Some analytic books as well. That's cool. What's, yeah. the, be- what's the best book you've read in the last year? Um, or one of the best books. You don't have to pick the best book. I just read the, I think it's James Kerr, the book about the All Blacks, the New Zealand mm-hmm. rugby team. That was very good. So That's that cool. Recently, I'd say that was, I can't remember the name off the top of my head for that. Have you ever heard of Atomic Habits? It's something I'm reading. Yeah, I read that last year. I'm I'm in. I've just finished like the fifth chapter. It is. It's awesome. I've actually implemented it. I had a Red Bull today, but that was the first thing I did. I read that book, and I used to drink one literally every morning. I would go and get a Red Bull and a biscuit, and then go to work. And so, like, I took that book, and that was like my first way of like stopping one of those toxic habits and and like drinking water instead has been Red what Bull's I've been toxic? replacing. Oh yeah, it's. Oh, Red Bull's you know, good for you, bro. You know this, and it's <laughs> gives complete you wings. poison to your body. Um, as I sit here after I smashed one, but yeah, I've been uh, I've been doing stuff. I, I really love that book. I'm more of in the self help and like mental side of things. My wife's more of like a pure fictional. So we yeah, to- I don't really read any fiction. My wife reads a lot of fiction as well. So I'm not going to talk too much about her reading habits. But yeah, I would say more of self help and, and mental. So yeah, I read Atomic Habits sometime last year. Cool. Yeah, I've got it in my Audible library. I haven't started it yet, but. It's right up the alley, the kind of stuff I like to read as well. Everybody here knows that you, um, you're you soccer-based, of course, but do you have a favorite non-soccer sport? I would say running, obviously. Yeah, of And course. then probably I like to watch mixed martial arts. Yeah, sure. Boxing, so kind of the combat sports. My dad was big on that, so that was a 
secondary thing that we oh hold up. up so you're saying mma and your dad was from where ireland and so are For you sure a are connor you fan. a connor fan not anymore um i don't dislike him sure i wouldn't say but you don't I, you don't I, have like posters in your house no i don't have any posters of conor mcgregor hanging up in it's, my it's, house. it's, I mean, it's my above wife, his bed my my well, wife doesn't decorate gone. and so she would not allow that <laughs> I, when same he, same I you think, see, you see the walls I was given. This is the one room. As he do got. what you want. You know, this is it. Yeah. Earlier in his career, um, he was fun. Yeah. And it was kind of a small guy from Ireland, that type of thing. So, it's it's different now, right? He's he's been very successful. So Big, biggest star in MMA. Yeah. By a long shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, he was huge for the sport. So it's just just different. I think everybody goes through phases in their career, right? And up and down so. yeah then you talk about being humble and then you lose and you talk trash about somebody's wife over a microphone and a lot of people all of a sudden don't like you yeah. i mean he, he also like you lose a little bit of hunger right yeah like, for sure i mean I, I that's what i'm guessing like i call it i call it the ronda rousey effect where like you are the pinnacle do you remember ronda rousey mm-hmm. she was the top dog and then holly holm absolutely kicked her skull in and then holly holm soon after that and it was like it was like for her it was like she made the decision to not come back to MMA because she had reached that peak and she didn't want to like funnel back in. But like, obviously McGregor is who he is and he's probably never going to stop. Um, so it's a similar situation. Now he's just kind of on that back end. As long as he keeps selling out T-Mobile arena, they'll keep having him back. That is true. And, he, and look, he's still like, he's a couple years removed from winning the only round that's ever been won against Khabib. So it's not like, you know, it's not like he was a bad fighter, but he's just not what he used to be. Yeah, my brother is not a huge Conor fan. He's almost the opposite. So sometimes it's, it's fun to be a Conor fan uh-huh. just to wind my brother up a little bit. So that's what happens when you have siblings, right? You, Absolutely. You've got to pick things that they don't like. How many siblings do you have? I have three brothers. So there's four brothers? One older, two four younger, of you. yeah. They, wow. play, they play as well? No sisters? No sisters, no. Your, your poor mom. Yeah. You, mu- you guys must have been in terror. I, have, I had one of my best friends growing up had three brothers and it was we were we were always at their house ruining things yeah I, i'm sure it was a tough job so my mom she did the best she could with three crazy boys and an older brother my bro- uh, brother danny is a little bit older, so he was nearly an adult by the time the three of us were terrorizing each other he was <laughs> he, he was uh, maybe some help as opposed to uh, yeah a little bit so yeah my um, brothers yeah they both played we all kind of played soccer growing up and, and followed it and they don't play anymore now but who was your favorite player growing up gary lineker <laughs> so I remember my first pair of boots were a Gar- pair of Gary Lineker I think it's Quasar boots when I was like an under eight and that was kind of my dad's trick wear these boots and you'll score a lot of goals so <laughs> he was a Tottenham guy and obviously played for England as well so yeah now are you a Tottenham guy yeah yeah unfortunately listen yeah. you don't have to you don't have to say unfortunately on this it's, podcast it's tough being a Tottenham fan um, oh, that. it's tough being a Tottenham fan so I mean there was some good years with Pochettino there and it's been rough. And when you're working in, in coaching, you kind of a lot of emotion goes into that. Mm-hmm. So maybe you don't have as much spare for the other teams. And when you're a Tottenham fan and you think you're going to get something good and then it drops off and then you think it's going to be good and drops the, off. The yeah. easiest the easiest way to, to uh, prevent that feeling from happening is just assume that no nothing good's going to come your way as a Tottenham fan. And then you're just in sad. My, in my experience. And then you're just sad like Matthew. Or you just have an even keel because like the happy moments are happy and the sad moments are just expected. Let me tell you, he has a real even keel when it comes to Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, I have lower expectations as Spurs. I think the patterns over years, over the year, kind of figured out where it's going. But it's when you're not directly involved. I think maybe I could save my energy for what I am in, involved in. So. Well, it's fun to talk to somebody about the EPL that I'm not trying to discount fans in the United States, but so many people will pick a team and be like, I'm a huge fan. And, 
you know, I know people who won't come play soccer on a Wednesday night if Liverpool loses in that Champions League game that day because they're so let down. And, like, sometimes it's like, chill out. It's literally on another continental plate <laughs> and continent, you know. So it is talk- fun, funny talking to somebody who you have much more of a direct connection, right? Like, that's why I, I try and preach for a lot of people to be like, like a lot of people here are like, I love CFC, but I, I'm a, I'm an Arsenal fan. And sometimes I feel like being like, why don't you just be a CFC? You can still watch Arsenal. It's just, I, I'm a very local and like, I stay true to who I root for. Yeah, my dad was a Tottenham fan. So that's the only choice I had if I wanted to stay living in the <laughs> yeah. house. So that's, that's how it works. In a lot of England, you just support who your dad or your older brother supports. Sure, yeah. It's kind of indoctrinated that yeah. way. So. Like, like college football here. Yeah. I mean, in the South. Like college football in the South. Like, yeah. You know, there. Are, I think I might have said this on the podcast recently, but or I said it to somebody. But like, there, there are fans. There are people who say like, "I will pay for you, daughter of mine or son of mine, to go to whatever school you want, except for X school. You can't go like so. It's like, uh, you know, maybe they're Auburn grads, and they're like, you can go anywhere but Alabama. I'll pay for you to go to anywhere, but Alabama, not an option, Dude, my- or whatever else. Which is the wildest way to like. But there are people that are that like, and I. So you don't have a choice. I feel like in, in college football, for the most part, and I think this you know. this year was a culmination of a bunch of really big pain points in my life when it comes to college football. I'm a massive Georgia fan. My mom went there. My grandpa played there. Graduated from there. My cousin played there. Graduated from there. So I'm like have always watched it. And growing up in Tennessee, it was always like I was always surrounded by Tennessee fans or whatever. But. Almost a month ago, we won the national championship, and I legit bawled because I I went to 2008 when we thought we were going to kill them, and we wore black jerseys, and they absolutely stomped us, and I was standing (laughs) in the rain watching it, and ever since then, until a month ago, I've never been able to say like that we have beat Alabama or gone and gotten a national championship. So when that happened, like I've watched that replay a million times, it's been like. I just feel like a lot of weight. And that's because like that my heartstrings are like really pulled with that team because I feel such a connection. So whenever like I, I do watch City, but and I used to think I would consider myself as a fan, but I'm I'm not as much anymore. I, I don't live and die with it like I like I do. So yesterday didn't really hurt. When when <laughs> no, Tottenham beat City. I, I, <laughs> we, uh, we were at the stadium as that game kicked off and I was like Best case, we'll win, and it'll be a great surprise after. But we're probably not going. We're probably not going to win. Oh, so Ma- Matthew. So, so I'm wa- so I'm watching the game, and it. We get to the 85th minute or so. Uh, Eric Dyer goes down with an injury, and and I'm looking at the clock, and I'm like, well, I, I need to go ahead and go. Like I need to get there a little bit early, whatever. And and so I just leave, and then I get the notifications that the text come in, of like, oh, you know, VAR is going to you know uh, award a penalty here, and I was like, cool, VAR penalty. Thank probably, God I pro- left. Probably a city goal in the 95th. Like, he, te- he texted, thank God. thank God I turned this shit off. That was the word for word. Dude, that's, and then Harry Kane scored like 30 seconds later. So funny that you say... Not, you, not mad about that outcome. See, you, it's so funny because you're like, I left home and stopped watching. Like, Because I'm the exact opposite. I for the record, like, we were up 2-1 to one at the time. I just didn't believe we were going to hold it. I will be watching a game and be like, okay, it's things. time for me to leave. All right, let me pull it up on my phone while it's still on <laughs> TV. Too. Okay, now I'm good to go. And I like leave with the game on my phone. And while I'm driving, I keep it in like a holder and I listen to it over my truck. I keep... I'm I'm very against watching replays or, or missing out on like moments and stuff like that. So. I don't know how to work that technology, so I can teach you. It's it's not hard. <laughs> Matthew's Matthew's an old man. Once we get we get your flip phone upgraded. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, also also for the record, Jay, uh, the whole uh, continental plates thing. Way to use your geology degree. Hey, finally, look at that. I didn't even think about that. I appreciate you. Yeah, I'll try to record the, all the Tottenham games and get back to watch them if I can, but it just depends on if they play on a Saturday afternoon. We play on a Saturday afternoon, Sunday spent it's watching different. our games again and then yeah. right. after 
four or five hours. I'm like, I don't want to watch Spurs. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, it's work. Especially yeah. Spurs. Yeah. So that's that's funny. So I like to watch good soccer as well. So it's sometimes there's better teams that play it. So I'd r- rather than say, I'm not going to watch this guy or this team, it's... I'm sure running is a big. I'm sure running is a big escape for you, right? Because like for me, like I'm a I'm a, a video production specialist and like a part like a cinematographer and like my spare time, and uh, all my friends from out of town will be like, "Yo, we're hanging out. Let's make a video." And I'm like, "That's literally the last thing I want to do is do things that I do for work." So are there times where you have to like completely decompress away from soccer? Yeah, I try to like I said, I do a lot of marathons. Well, I- try to do long distance running so sure. i schedule like i need to do this run in in the day so that's kind of like the escape you, do you literally put it on your calendar i don't have a calendar all right Yo. but I, it's I, on a mental calendar like i need to run today or today's a rest day and you ha- you have a calendar keeper uh, i'm married and at least that's what my wife is a so. calendar keeper yeah. <laughs> she lets you know what. yeah sometimes yeah. i'll have notifications pop up and i'm like oh shit i didn't add that in my calendar and she's like i did idiot like yeah i kind of just follow that. the schedule and, and go from there with the runs like i know that it's kind of important to have a hobby away from my job, which is also a hobby as well, right? I get to, unfortunately, I get to work in something I love doing. So yeah, yeah. having a hobby away from it and kind of personal goals. And helps. you're on a regimented schedule. You know, you have training at 9 a.m. at this time. Mm-hmm. You know that you have a break here. You may have meetings later. So you're like, oh, every day I can kind of fit in the run here or Yeah, that's here. it. I kind of plan where it'll be. And sure. Obviously, the weekends can get a little hectic, especially when we're traveling on road trips. Yeah. So we adjust it a little bit there. If... uh. If you could name your favorite soccer coach and that's coaching the game right now that's not your boss, who would you name? My favorite coach, it'd probably go back to emotions for Pochettino at Tottenham. Okay. Like I know he's not having the greatest time at PSG right now, but that was quite fun being a Spurs fan. Yeah. There. So I would can, say that. Can concur with that. Yeah, the style of football was very good. It was enjoying enjoy like we'd beat good teams yeah. and you felt like this we might actually win i like, felt we may win the league one year yeah i know it kind of went bad late late on but we thought we we're going to win the league and then the same with the champions league so that was fun and the style of play was good like a, like i said I, if you- i can't win it's fun to at least watch attacking or fun football okay i was just about to go to that question uh because obviously you know rod's talked a ton about how how he wants this team to play uh, and, and finding players that, that fit that particular style and, and whatever else. Is there a particular style like, of football that if you're just watching for fun, not coaching, not not being super involved in the granular aspects, is there just a style of play that you like watching? I like watching pressing football. Okay. I like organized presses. The counter press is fun to see, but when you see teams kind of setting traps and then teams falling into it, I quite enjoy that. So it's always good to see that and maybe steal ideas, see... A- wouldn't say I was a forward, so I don't really like seeing sitting back and defending or maybe long ball type of, of football to watch. So it, it depends on that. But I would say probably similar to what we're aiming to play, like possession based and high pressing and then creating good chances. I like cutbacks. Yeah. I don't like crosses in the air. I like cutbacks. I like <laughs> combinations around the box. You like so, tap-ins. Yeah, I like tap-ins when I was a player and I like tap-ins as a coach. It doesn't mean I, I, I love seeing the screamers go in. I just don't like seeing them go over the fence or yeah. into, into someone's popcorn <laughs> if, on the if side. You, if you're going to do it, like at least make the keeper work for yeah, it, right? Yeah, you can't take long shots, but you can score long shots. That's what we say. So. <laughs> I, no, 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 yeah. no. Yes! Yeah. Good idea. That's beautiful. Do You you mentioned beating good teams. Uh, and Stumptown, flashback to Stumptown in the fall, you guys beat, a, you had a really interesting record. You guys beat a lot of teams above you in the table. And by above you, I mean like the top three teams, right? Like you guys beat Detroit away. 
you uh, beat Cal United and drew you, once with and them. drew once with them. You beat you, you uh, tied I think twice with LA Force. You, know, you guys really it felt like played up. Once with LA, we only had nine men as well for six. That was minutes, that so was fun. By the way, of, that kind of it wasn't as fun on the side. It was when I look back, <laughs> it was few, fun. Took a few years off your life. Yeah, but it was it was wild. Yeah, but, I bet. But, I mean, that was it was incredibly fun to watch that game very very late at night. Yeah, I it, will was, say it that. was fun, and I thought we were going to win it. And we we tried to make changes, but just based off player personnel, we couldn't. We wanted to go a little bit more attacking in that. So maybe there's a hint of how we'll play this year. <laughs> but there was one point where we were going to go to three at the back when we had nine players and we just didn't have the right player personnel for it uh, based on injuries and, and guys that were there. So it was, it was fun. I mean, <laughs> why, what, uh, and that, first of all, that's going three at the back with nine players is chef's kiss. Uh, Marcelo Bielsa. Was it going to be like a, th- like a three, four, two? Um, Wait, no, that's too many players. It would have been a three, two, three. Yeah. Yeah. Would have been. I think just based on moments of the game, right? There was we had to adjust how we pressed at halftime, based on not having the numbers. We just one player couldn't do the job of two in yeah. in one of the pressing traps, so we just adjusted that. And obviously, we had to be a little bit more defensive minded. We knew this would be tough to maybe maintain possession, so we had to adjust for that. But I mean, right up towards the end, I thought we were gonna win when it was still two two. I thought we were gonna get another chance. It's so crazy. Why do you think, uh, or do you ha- do you do you have a uh, maybe you have an answer, or do you have a, a thought of maybe why you guys seem to play up to the quote unquote better competition, and maybe like with teams like us who we, we ended up having a little run at the end of the season and finishing higher, but you know the bottom of the table was harder to get points against for yeah, Stumptown in particular. I, th- I think timing of games was sometimes is is a factor too. Just when when the games come in the season, you have moments where everybody's up and high and, and I'm sure you've had there was a lot of off the field things maybe at the club that sometimes took a hit on guys so dependent on on where that was and, and what part of the year it was also I think game moments there was times when we could have scored and gone 1-0 up and changed the game and we didn't and the other team score and it's tough so especially when you're playing teams that maybe are a little bit def- maybe defend more often because they're at the bottom of the table so if you go 1-0 down against them it can be a little bit harder to, to get back into it yeah Oh, makes sense. I'm just curious how you, because we've, you know, as soon as Rod got hired, and obviously we didn't know who, if you were getting hired, if anybody else was getting hired, but we started looking at Stumptown season, and we were just like, what happened? Like, because it was just so crazy with the looking at, like, who, it was the exact opposite of CFC season. Like, we couldn't beat the teams above us. Kind of, kind of sort of beat everyone else. We still dropped points that we shouldn't have dropped, but, like, it was the op- it was the inverse. It was yeah. very, very weird. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, towards the end of the season, we were, I think, L.A. away. And then home, and then Cal away, and then home, and then San Diego away, and I think that takes a toll physically. Sure. Yeah, when you go yeah, traveling west coast. Yeah, sure. Three times in six weeks. So yeah, that, that's we had we had one of those stretches for for ourselves that did not go well for us. So. And that was also coming off of I think that six game unbeaten streak where we had played Detroit and we played New Amsterdam and all those other games. So I think that probably cut us up to us a little bit. Oh yeah, yeah. you guys beat New Amsterdam twice I think too, right? Or we beat did. them once. Yeah, yeah and they were they were such a problem last year for us. We, we, we beat them once and we lost once, but like we shouldn't have beat them the second time. I mean, Alec made like six one-on-one saves or whatever. I mean, it was he was unreal. It also it also helps when the uh, when Lawrence Gerard plays himself in goal. I love when the pumpkin man plays. <laughs> I, I love it. Uh, I, have a, I have a question for you. When you played soccer, did you have a favorite number that you liked wearing? It used to be 10 because of Gary Lineker. Yep. So growing up, that was always to try and get 10. Um, and that's what I felt was a center forwards number. <laughs> So it's kind of changed a little bit now. 
Then in college, I was given 23 because I started in 2006 and there was another English guy that came out to America and he was given 23. So I thought that'd be fun to, <laughs> to give it to me as well. So that was it. So I, I had that for the, the four college years. Okay. I mean, a, I mean, that's a where yeah, Jordan's numbers, not the, yeah, not yeah. the, yeah. That's, that's not the in, in the US. Yeah. So, I mean, 10, I think now is for the best players. So I kind of shy away from that. If I was to play again, I'll, I'll take a, a high 20s number. <laughs> Keep the expectations <laughs> low. Yeah. Uh, have, do we, this is completely off topic, but uh, for the players, for the players that are coming in or returning, are we instilling them uh, or reinstilling in them that like, if you, if you already have a number here, you should keep that number for the fans. And if you are getting a number for the first time, uh, are you at least going to have fun with it? Cause that's the message I Ma- really want. Matthew, parti- Matthew has a particular um, view that players should pick wild numbers like 72. They should be fun. Players should be fun. Um, I don't deal with the numbers. Uh, I deal with uh, on the field numbers, like the stats, but not so much the player jersey. That's probably a Jordan question. He, yeah. he'll deal with that. We'll need, a, we'll need, we need, we need Smart to stay out of that because I'm sure it's the guys that will go with what they had in college, what they had previously. Yeah. And it's just players should uh, feel free to express themselves like they will on the field. So be fun. Do you guys do? Um, Okay, actually, I do have to ask a fact-checking like, question. Our new number nine should be a center back. I'm just saying, Matthew, <laughs> uh, you're baiting me. The the Rod said that you guys probably didn't do even five training sessions regarding like strictly defense last year. So how do you how do you guys view coaching defense uh, if you're not doing a ton of training on it? That's a great like, question. Do you just coach pressing situations? Like how does that work? Yeah, I mean, press- try not to defend if you keep the ball all the time. So, yeah, that's true as well. So if we have the ball all the time and we press really well, we don't have to worry too much about defending. Um, We never plan to sit back and kind of soak up a team's attack. So it probably doesn't make sense to spend all the time working on defending. There were certain games where we knew, based on the opponent's style of play, that we maybe have to kind of fine-tune something with that. But it was more ball possession, possession, uh, sorry, pressing, and then starting to create chances. And and, And pressing... Um, are you working on pressing triggers? Are you working on like style, one particular style of pressing? Do you press all the time? Like how do you guys, or how do you look at pressing? Um, Because I shouldn't ask you to speak for Rod. Yeah. Um, I would say both. It obviously going to depend on the players, I guess, physical condition and the time of the game. It's unrealistic to expect them to sprint nonstop the entire game, which is part of the, if you can press immediately and win it back in a short burst, you're probably going to be physically okay. So, I think when we played, maybe when we played you guys at the start of the season, we'd only had a maybe a two or three week preseason. We hadn't had any games, so we started to fatigue maybe around the hour mark. So it had to, we couldn't really press anymore, and we had to to drop back in. But that was more, um, I guess, specific to the time of the year rather than how it was. And the same as if we go and we got a two game road trip to think we're going to press for ninety minutes is is tough. So yeah. it's that. Can we main, can we rest and have the ball rather than chasing around after it? I think it's tough mentally to defend as well when you're playing against a team if you're sitting back for long periods of the game, trying to absorb either whether it's combinations or longer passes or direct play. It's mentally draining, so it's probably better to have that that side of the ball as well. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm I'm, a, I'm very interested to see how the pressing goes this year. I'm knock on wood I'm that's the way the game's going right or it's yeah. gone it's long gone in fact not when I say long gone, I don't mean done I mean it's been you know pressing's been the way just how are you you know the best teams in the world press yeah we'll have we have plan like a the principles for pressing and then we'll have a, a plan of when other teams because 
whether we want to believe it or not, we're going to have 99% possession. So when teams are able to build or they have a little bit longer on the ball, how can we kind of trap them rather than just chase, chase, chase? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. How do you prepare in the preseason? This is very, very inside baseball. Like, so, you know, you guys just played a closed door friendly, like against a UPSL team. Pretty soon you're going to play a USL championship team. Like, how do you prepare? Like, do you guys care about the results there? Like, do you, I, I realize that like those results don't count in general, but like they could demoralize a team. Like, do you just worry about like, we're going to be dogmatic in whatever we do. We're going to run our patterns. We're going to try to, I mean, like, how do you, how do you guys approach those games and think about like a preseason like that? I mean, it's always nice to win, but a lot of preseason and the games are just, when we play 11 v 11 in practice, it's two teams playing the same style against each other. So it's nice to play someone out of, our club that will play a different style and, and be more realistic to maybe what we'll see during the year. I think it's still early in the preseason physically for players. So the style of play that they play maybe is different from four months down the line when they're in peak condition. So it would be more, is there moments of what we want? Like, and I felt yesterday there was in the game, there was definitely certain moments of our identity in there. And then it's going to be kind of cycling players through positions or new guys coming in before we really gel exactly how we want. So the results not that important in preseason, but we don't want to be getting heavily beat because it's maybe demoralizing, but it's recognition of maybe getting beat or conceding goals highlights something you need to adjust or fix. But we're hoping that if we can see the moments that of our identity and our principles first, that's that's good to build and work. I guess those there. are just two things that are just as important as each other. One is making making sure that they can the players can fit into the system, and then that works. But also identifying the pain points. Yeah, understand and recognizing where the players maybe don't understand the system yet, or mm -hmm. where it's like I said, we've only had five training sessions, right? And it's there's not a lot you can work on there, and you can work on something, but you're maybe going to miss out on something else. Sure. So that that was probably evident yesterday as well we'd spent time on a certain thing and there's other areas like i can't believe that's not happening but we haven't done any of it at all so is there anything on this podcast before we wrap up and thank you again for being generous of your time you've been here quite a while it's not a no problem thank you for having me uh is there anything uh, that you wish we would have asked you no i don't think so no uh, is there right. anything you wish you'd have asked me that you haven't I don't, I'm, I'm I've been nervously scrambling in my mind for that answer for about <laughs> ten minutes. So no, not yet. Not well, that, there, there I, not that I figured out. There for sure will be at some point. Oh, yeah. uh, later today we go. Ah, I should have asked that. But, yeah, in you the know, group in the group thread we'll, we'll talk about. We'll, it. Yeah, we'll ask you for a, a round two maybe down the line, maybe yeah, mid season no or something problem. if you're willing. I'd like to have you and Rod on at the same time. Yeah, okay. I'd love to. Love, we should, we should do some. You know those dumb games they do at like summer camp where like you're, you're with your friend and they like make you guess what your friend's going to answer. Or they do those. At, they do those at weddings too. Like now, like in, yeah, like, or we'll do we'll do like some. Stuff. We'll do some version of that for coaches. I'm down. <laughs> See, we got really, really make them a, a soccer uncomfortable. Themed. And I know you spoke when we spoke before. You wanted to do. We spoke about the my I guess my business on the side. Yeah, yeah. Did you want to talk about? That? I mean, absolutely. I, I said, sure, I'm yeah, not going to yeah. plug it, but I mean, I I, know, I think I li did listen to the podcast with the new signings. So I was very appreciative of the the kind things you said of me. Awesome, on that. But <laughs> amazing. There, I mean, we got and we got an extra or, listen or things on that. Yeah. Yeah. So how does so, so how does how does it work? Like, what do you do? So it's a performance analysis company. So it's similar to the stuff that I'm doing, providing uh, KPIs, maybe giving feedback on video or maybe suggestions of, of what uh, maybe what they want to do. Here's some maybe ways of, of doing it. I also work with individual players sometimes of how they can be more effective in their positions or their style of play. I also sometimes just do like highlight package of videos as well. So a guy's like, can you put some clips together for me? So I'll pick maybe certain ones that highlight 
his position that makes him stand out rather than just putting every single clip in and yeah. he thinks this is a great play and you, you it's, it's you, not what a coach likes it's not what a coach likes. i mean we get a, a lot of videos sent to us of players and sometimes it's tough to watch how do you feel about high we'll come back to this how do you feel about highlight music and the choice of music and people's um i tell players if i get a video with music i don't like I might shut it off, especially if it comes blaring out. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, I think they can use music when they're sharing it themselves on social media. But I think if you're sending it to a coach, when you get, and I even as the assistant here, I got a lot of, and I'm still getting highlight videos now. It's tough to go through them all and, and maybe find a gem. And we, and we do sometimes. One of the guys that come in was through a video sent to me and we got fortunate with that. But you see... A poorly one that's got maybe 30 seconds of intro and no actual playing or you see the guy jogging around behind the goal you're like this this isn't what I need i need to see quickly where, whether it's worth watching anymore and whether it's worth trying to do you do something. you edit those clips together sometimes yeah what do you use sorry just for a moment i use iMovie okay great yeah, yeah so yeah. it's very basic and that's what i use for my own clips it's basic it's quick super I mean, easy yeah it's easy enough i so. use final cut and davinci resolve so i'm a i'm a video editor by yeah. trade so i was just wondering what you might yeah it'd probably be very poor by your standards no, but no. it uh <laughs> it, it was easy enough to, to clip stuff together and sure, it helps yeah. so i can do it on the bus i can do it in the oh, hotel and you're forgetting the most together. important part it's free yeah it's so free there well, you go so. you don't have to drop any cash and there so, you are so if a, if a prospective team was to reach out to you like what what kind of stuff are they usually asking for uh, basically how to win so then you've got to kind of share that well there's no set formula but have, it's, have better players than the other team preferably. Yeah, so, yeah that's essentially it. the team with the best players will win so if you can't afford the best players how can you really it's about overachieving like if you're underachieving can you fix it if you're on par how can you overachieve so just look at some of the, the, the things they do and then go back to like maybe why it's not so the style of play so just sharing with clubs like this is where you are and even sometimes like you're overachieving now you've really should be here but you're there so it's going to crash down and if you if you change things then maybe you can absorb that overachieving and now fix it and then you you're going to be even higher up so so are you like you don't have to say the name or anything like that but are you are you like totally like word of mouth is that how you're like your business yeah pretty much yeah, yeah it's it's just tough to do because it's very similar to some of the stuff I'll do with the club right so it just in terms of timing so if a friend that maybe will ask out I can help out there or a player sometimes so I've not really pushed it yeah, so kind of just sitting there in the background, floating along. That's but, cool, though. That's yeah, I've been really doing cool. it for maybe unofficially, maybe five or six years, and then officially, maybe three years. Had it. Do you feel it like running. it? Did it help you land this? Like when I say land, like you and Rod connected. Like was it through a connection that you had made? Like uh, through working with, uh, like doing your business on the side, or was it just complete? Like you knew somebody who knew him and that's the introduction. I'd say a little bit of both. It was someone who I'd worked with that I'd shared this information and and they knew that I was doing it on the side as well. So I shared some of the the things that I'd done, maybe some of the past of who I'd worked with and and that type of stuff. I mean, it sounds like a, sounds like a head coach is like dream. Yeah. You know, when you have somebody, some, I mean, you always want to hire like the proper staff. So to have your general right hand man, your assistant be able to go through and do all that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, I think you've got to find the right head coach. Sure. I think it's, it's important to be open-minded, right? And I've learned that I don't know as much as I thought I knew from doing this type of stuff. So I can maybe a little bit more open-minded now and finding coaches like that that are willing to to change or adjust. And it can be tough at the, in the higher professional level when guys are being paid millions. And I mean, that's if you're paying small millions, they're kind of doing what they want. Right, so yeah. The, you've got the shirts. The Man, the man United problem. Exactly, so... Yeah, there was a Man United player I, I like to use in one of my videos for the shots he takes. 
highlights. So <laughs> I think you and Matthew might have a. Yeah, I'm a not going to call him out on this though, in case he's listening. <laughs> I hear, I hear he's he, definitely listening. <laughs> whoever it is, I hope he is. <laughs> Well, Chris, again, thank you for coming on the podcast. If folks want to reach out to you professionally or personally, can they find you on social media? And if so, where could they find you? Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram. So it's Chris Top Nugent. So it's just Christopher without the H-E-R in the end. And then Nugent, my last name. So yeah, Instagram and Twitter. I'm on. Awesome. Matthew, where can the people find you on the internet? You can find me on Instagram at I am Caniglio, And you can find me on Twitter at Whiskey is Five. Breezy, what about you? You can find me on the internet. And you can find me on uh, Instagram at letter J or both of the pod accounts on uh, Instagram and Twitter are at section 109 podcast. And you can find me on my TikTok. Been killing the you're drone back on videos. The you're back on the TikTok? Yeah, I got a brand new drone. I had to up my game. So I've been making a bunch of really cool videos. <laughs> and, I have, and I have nowhere else to put them because Instagram sucks. And people, buy your season tickets and come, and come hang out in 109. Please do. Please do. Come All right. and join us. All right. Well, we will see you guys on the next one. Later.